everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. We hope that you find encouragement today as you listen. Well, we continue our journey through John. We've, uh, we've called this series the, uh, 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 the Real Jesus, and I think we're going to get a good picture of Jesus this morning. And uh, we're going to look at a second conversation. Jesus has different conversations that John records and if you're kind of new and maybe not been here every Sunday, the Gospel of John, the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is really different from the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called synoptic, big word that they just kind of see the same way, and a lot of the stories are identical, but they're originally probably sent to different audiences. But John comes along, and there are stories, there are conversations this conversation that we'll look at this morning doesn't show up in the other three Gospels. Uh, there are miracles. Five of the signs out of the seven or eight signs aren't listed in the other three, and I think there's 20 or 30 different miracles that Jesus did. So it's really kind of a cool, amazing um, uh, Gospel. It's just it's different in every way. Uh, and again, as I said, this is a, this is a second uh, conversation that I want to look at this morning, and I want to take some time and, and read more than we usually read, uh, so be patient here in a moment. But uh, I, I want to begin by asking you this question. Have you ever heard that phrase, something's wrong with this picture? Have you ever heard that? And if I were to ask you to define that, you'd maybe give it and it'd maybe be close, maybe right on. Uh, or what's wrong with that picture? Uh, well, I've got some pictures, and you can try to tell me what you see if you can determine that something's wrong. Here's the first one, our former president and first lady. You maybe don't see it real well, but the circle there, if you blow it up, there's three hands there, but only two bodies. It's kind of interesting. Um, so there's something definitely wrong with that picture, right? Her hand is grabbing, yeah, it's kind of weird. Her hand is grabbing the president's, but then it looks like her hand is also dangling low. So... There's something wrong with that picture. I'm getting just a bit of a ring here. If you could fix that, thanks. Here's another one. This is kind of, see, where do I do that? There you go. Okay, this is a makeup. Looks like a, 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 a picture for a, a Maybelline or something, all right? And uh, lovely lady. But do you, do you see something wrong with that picture? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Her eyebrows growing over her hair, right? How cool is that, right? So there's something wrong with that picture. How about this one here? This is a beautiful young Asian model, but if you look closely, you don't know if she's coming or going. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not sure I could. Let's try that, okay? That, that looks like, if I do any more of that, I might need hip surgery. But anyway, she can do it. But it, it for sure looks like there's something wrong with that picture. This one's a little creepy. The pretty little girl. Look at her. I mean, she's singing a Disney classic, but look at that one in the mirror. I mean, that's kind of creepy. Mirror, mirror on the wall, right? So what's wrong with that picture? We figured it all out. I could go on, but I didn't put any more in there. They only get worse. Um, but this morning, the message I've titled, not what's wrong, but what's right with this picture. But I'm going to show you what's wrong with the picture before we conclude with what's right with the picture in this beautiful story. And we're going to go on a journey with Jesus and his disciples to a town in kind of a, forbid, a forbidden region in, in Israel, and I'll unpack that in a second. Uh, and we're going to hang out at a well with Jesus. And uh, let's just dig right in. Uh, here it is, beginning in 
verse, if you, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to John chapter 4, or scroll there on your iPad or smartphone, or there's even Bibles underneath the chairs if you want to follow along. Um, here it is right here, beginning in verse 1. And I do want you to see it, and I just want to read through this uh, so that we can just take all this in. It's really a wonderful, wonderful story. And again, one of two conversations Jesus has. Last, last week, we looked at the one with this religious leader. He is a Pharisee and a teacher named Nicodemus. This morning, it's, it's uh, alongside of a well, Jacob's well, in, uh, in Samaria. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he is gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, uh, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So his disciples are down by the Jordan, uh, uh, just north of Jerusalem, probably in that area there. And, and they're, they're baptizing, and the Pharisees are hearing this. It's probably stirring up the Pharisees were religious leaders. They not only had spiritual authority, but they also had, the Romans had given them authority in their nation. Um, they even had like a, uh, the, the Sanhedrin had its own police force. So anyway, it seems apparently it's, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph in the Old Testament. Uh, and Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And John even gives the time of day. It's about high noon. High noon at the Jacob well. Sounds like a Western, doesn't it? When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, his disciples had already gone in to get some uh, tacos at Taco Bell there in the town of Sychar. Okay, I just read that into it because I'm trying to imagine what kind of fast food. They went to get some nourishment. And so it's just Jesus and the Samaritan woman. And uh, she said, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and says, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming out here to draw water. Wouldn't that be what you would say? Well, we'll understand maybe more later the intent of her response there in a moment. But here we go. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, this is like the greatest statement in all the New Testament, I can see you are a prophet. I mean, that's, that's perception, isn't it? He just read her mail, right? I mean, he just, he just prophetically had a word of knowledge, and, uh, and it shocked her. And, uh, and she says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. <clears throat> That's what I, there's, there's a word for that. There's a term for that, and I don't know what it is. Some of you 
English majors can tell me later, but basically she kind of um, flipped the script. She kind of got off that really close encounter, and she kind of, you know, how's the weather today, or what do you think of, what do you think of the immigration policy by this, you know, this, can this party or that party? In other words, let's get off the subject, because this is really too close to home for me. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit. That's the big S when you see that in the New Testament. That's not our spirit or you know, the one. That's the Holy Spirit that uh, is, is, is being spoken of there in the Holy Spirit and in truth, and for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. All right. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. There it is. There's a pretty big revelation. That's the revelation. Jesus said, I'm the Christ. I'm the one promised. I'm the one the prophets have been talking about. I'm the one God promised to Abraham. You know, it's, it's as old as the Old Testament. And, uh, and he reveals it to this lady. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. I just want to pray before I go any further. Lord, I just ask your, your blessing upon the remainder of our, our morning today. And Lord, Holy Spirit, we invite you to, um, to magnify these words from this gospel, that you had caused them to come alive in each of our hearts. We probably all come and sit in different places at different stages and different encounters and different battles, different mountains, different high points and lows this morning, Lord. But Holy Spirit, you're able to take this word and in it magnify the love of Jesus Christ to us, and we would ask that you would do that now in your name, we pray, Lord. Amen. Okay, so what's wrong? What's wrong with this picture? Let's just look at a couple things, and then we'll talk about what's right, okay? Uh, first of all, What's wrong is that phrase where it says, uh, now he had to go through Samaria. Number one, Jews, Jewish people of that day, devout Jewish people avoided Samaria, okay? They avoided that region of Samaria. In fact, I give you a map here, and I, I got my little pointer. I brought my pointer back today. Okay, now this is Samaria, the light blue, right? This is the brown area, is Judea. And that's what the Gospel of John has a, a lot of Jesus' ministry in Judea where the other Gospels don't. And so he's coming from the area probably near Judea and he's heading back up to where he lives. Man, I've got a shaky hand. That might affect my putting someday here. Okay, so that's the region of Galilee around the Sea of Galilee. And, uh, but in between is that region of Samaria. Okay, so, but Jesus says uh, that he, and John says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, here's what Samaria was in Jesus' day. In fact, this is a map of Israel at the time of Jesus, okay? Uh, Samaria once played a really important part 
in Israel's history. In fact, King Omri, about 900 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he built a city right here called Samaria in what's now called, you know, the whole region of Samaria. Uh, and his son, Ahab, finished it. Ahab, you remember, he had that wild wife named Jezebel. Okay, in the Old Testament, if you aren't tracking with me, that's okay. I just want you to understand that before Jesus was born, ancient Israel, actually the northern tribes north of Jerusalem, uh, the 10 of the 12 tribes existed in different regions, and, uh, and th there was some holy places up there. There were some sacred places, and in fact, that was uh, Samaria, uh, in Samaria, the city of Samaria, uh, was actually the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Again, Ahab completed it, and then about 150 years after it was, it was uh, the, the building began on that. It took probably 50 to 70 years, I think, to finish the city. The Assyrians came in and just, uh, just destroyed a lot of the city. And if you remember uh, the history of Israel, you'll remember that not only did they come in, uh, you know, from the north up in these areas here and over there, you don't even see it, that's Assyria, and Syria was north of that, that part of the world seven, 800 years before Jesus. They come in and they, they take kind of the cultural elite, the leaders of the northern tribes, and they deport them back to Syria or Assyria and even the Babylonian regions. And then in their place, they, they brought like these, uh, I had a word for it here, but they brought uh, 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 foreign colonists, I guess you could call them. So these aren't Jewish people. They're bringing colonists from outside of Israel in. And what next thing you know, you have intermarriage, you have the, the Jewish people in that region of the country are now marrying and, uh, and they become a mixed race and that's how you come up with the Samaritan people, okay? That's just kind of a quick, really basic overview of what we're doing. Now you fast forward five, six, seven, eight hundred years later, Jesus is walking the planet and this is where he's ministering and uh, he's, he, he says he has to go through Samaria. Well, here's the thing. The Israelites... Uh, there was bad blood between uh, the Samaritans and the Israelites, the half-breeds, so to speak, okay? Now, here's the deal, but when, when the southern part of the kingdom was sent off to exile in Babylon, when they came back, first time, there was an effort to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and under Zerubbabel, because the temple was in rubbles, so they called Zerubbabel, and uh, he's trying to... I just thought that one up before I came up here. I thought... That's not worth much, don't. But if you use it, would you give me some credit? Um, so Zerubbabel comes back and the Samaritans come down because they consider Abraham their father. Uh, they did bring in some idolatry with the, you know, the implants, but the, the further they, they, they came away and, and probably the closer to Jesus, they became uh, uh, pure worshipers of God, but they were half-breeds. And if you understand Judaism, uh, Gentiles weren't looked on very kindly. You had the chosen race, and that was pure Jewish people in the bloodline. And so uh, the, the Samaritans came down to help Zerubbabel rebuild the, the temple, and uh, he declined their offer. In fact, he rejected their offer, and that kind of made the Samaritans mad, and they tried to prevent then the Jews from finishing the project. So you could just see kind of this give and take, and well, it was maybe a good a, a welcome gesture, denied and hearts are hurt and there's woundedness and walls are built 
figuratively in this case. Uh, and so then, speaking of walls, along comes Nehemiah a few years later from Babylon because the walls of Jerusalem are been, have been busted down from the Babylonians. The temple's been rebuilt. Now the walls are rebuilt. And it was the Samaritans who were one of the groups coming and opposing and threatening the, uh, the, the returning uh, exiles who are trying to rebuild the walls. So if you look in Nehemiah in the Old Testament, it's like they've got a sword or a spear in one hand and a trowel in the other as they're rebuilding the wall. Uh, again, you can see this bad blood between the Samaritans and the, and the, and the, and the full-blooded Jewish men and women and those uh, being uh, returned to the, to the nation there. So, uh, now the final straw was the Samaritans decided, okay, you're going to stiff-arm me here. We got this bad blood. You know, we've got skirmishes going on, bloodshed maybe, some murder over, you know, not only decades, but centuries. The Samaritans decided, you know what? We're going to build a rival temple at Mount Gerizim. Uh, Gerizim is the, is the pronunciation. And so uh, that's like, that was the final straw. There was only one holy place. It was Mount Zion. And you can go today to Israel and you can see kind of the temple wall there and the mound. And there's a mosque there today near where probably the original temple was. And, and that that's really was sacred space for ancient Israel. And the Samaritans say, well, we'll just build our own temple. And by the way, we're going to make it clear to everybody we can see and, and hear our voices that, that uh, we're really the sons and daughters of Abraham. So it just got messy. You know what I mean? Just got nasty. A lot like family feuds, a lot like um, all the brokenness we see in our contemporary world or in history. This was one of those. So bad blood for sure. Okay. And uh, now, a common practice in Jesus' day is, again, the Jewish faithful would avoid going up. There were two main highways that went up through the blue. Sorry, you have to look over on this side. I can, there it is. There's, oh, that's really wiggly. Uh, but they, the two north and south routes and maybe three that went east and west. So it would just make sense to get back to the Galilee to go up through Samaria. But what they would do is cross the Jordan River here, cross the Jordan and, and head north up this way to the Galilee to avoid Samaria. Do you understand that? But Jesus said, um, uh, I need to go to Samaria. It was his statement, all right? Now he had to go, I like that phrase, through Samaria, okay? So uh, that's what's wrong with the picture. You didn't go through Samaria. You avoided Samaria. Uh, it just, it, it's just not something you would do. Uh, it could be dangerous. There were criminals up there, and if they could discern that you were maybe of a full Jewish descent, there, there may have been muggings and vandalism or whatever, uh, but it, you just didn't do it. Now, what else is wrong with this picture? You can see this here. Um, uh, uh, rabbis avoided women. <laughs> I put that just to kind of shock you a little bit, but I'm going to go a little deeper on this. It says, when a Samaritan woman came, when she came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food, right? So uh, in that day, culturally, all right, you did not, if you were a Jewish leader, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a scribe, a rabbi, a teacher, somebody, and every time where you turn, they're calling Jesus a rabbi. They're recognizing not only does he speak heavenly things, but also he's doing supernatural things. And a rabbi, a godly man, would not find himself alone uh, with a woman in, in this case, so as to avoid uh, uh, just anything impure or gossip that could be generated or immorality or whatever. So it was the custom of that day 
if a, a, a leader in, in, in Judaism came upon a woman in public or alone, uh, he wouldn't even strike up a conversation. You just wouldn't do it. You just, you may have to, you may come close, but you just ignore that person. How would you like to be that person being ignored? But that was their that was their custom for what we can understand, and that's what we, uh, that's what, uh, that's what we understand to be the case. So um, uh, the disciples, look at how astonished they were when they came back. And I didn't read it this way, but it's uh, just then his disciples in verse 27 returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one said, and this is, I think, how they would have said it. They would have looked at the Samaritan, what do you want? All right. I don't think it was probably... What do you want? This was a woman, a Samaritan woman, and we're going to see even some of the more questionable reasons why they'd probably go, what do you want? <laughs> you know, Or even going to their, their master, to Jesus, and saying, you know, why, why are you talking with her? May, may we ask that? We're not going to use the same tone of voice as we did on the woman, but can we just, why are you doing this? This is absurd. This is, this is unorthodox. This is uh, wrong. Um, because devout Jewish men did, would not be alone with, with a woman. And so you can see the surprise. It's borne out there. Okay, so what else is wrong with the, with the, with the picture here? Here it is. Um, Jews despised Samaritans. And that's what that whole, just the background there, just this uh, decade, centuries of, of feuding back and forth. And only just to, to add to that, the animosity between these two groups. It wasn't just the Jews, but it was the Samaritans. They just... They just really didn't care for one another. But there's one other thing that I just want you to see here. What this, the, the Samaritan woman was a shady lady, okay? A, a woman of questionable character. First of all, look at that first sentence there. It was about noon. All right, you didn't draw water from a well in that part of the world. The heat of the day, you would come in the morning when it's cool, maybe in the early evening when it's cool because the water was heavy and you're drawing it and taking it back to the family. And there's a good chance what's going on here is nobody was at the well at that point because everybody who can be at the well comes when it's cool and, and it's manageable and you don't, don't get a heat stroke. But this woman, because of what you see further there when, when he says, go and get your husband and she says, I, I don't have a husband he says, it's right, you have five, and the one you're with isn't your husband. So she was, in, in the culture in that day, she would have been looked at uh, as a very sinful person. Now, who knows why she was, her marriages weren't working out? Who knows what kind of brokenness was happening there? But the fact is, now she's living outside of marriage, which in Judaism or even the Samaritan world, because of their faithfulness to the Old Testament, they would have recognized that this woman was not living a, a right life. And so Jesus is not only talking to a woman or a Samaritan as a, as a spiritual leader, but also to somebody who's obviously pretty broken. And her sin and brokenness caused her to be ostracized. She was an outcast in the community, okay? And she, she is there when there's no traffic, and it's probably good because she's probably tired of the smirks and the, and the, 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 the stares and the, the, the judgmental glances and the, the whispers, you know? that would probably take place at the well, the humiliation that probably occurred in her life as she would come to the well uh, in the high traffic times. So everything, and I want you to hear this, just, just three or four things there. Everything that is wrong with this picture is right about Jesus this morning, okay? 
That's the beauty of this passage. It's just so amazing. I mean, we could sit and we could unpack it probably all day, just the, the, the beauty and the truth that we draw from this and just the character and understanding the heart of Jesus Christ and his calling. I, I like that, that first phrase. It says, he had to go, all right? There weren't, weren't going to be any customs or, or cultural difference that were going to detour him from this divine appointment, all right? I mean, I, I'm wondering how shocked the, the disciples may have been when instead of just kind of crossing the Jordan and heading north, he had to go, John writes. John was there. He's one of the disciples writing this gospel. Jesus had to go. Why? Because there was an encounter that he had to have that blew up into something really supernatural as you look at it and as you un unpack this text, as you kind of unfold this text. Jesus had to go. And Jesus ignored all the racial and all the moral and all the gender taboos, all the sin taboos to bring wholeness to this broken life. What a beautiful picture. And, and, and this is something you need to see. Sin and human brokenness never shocked Jesus. It shocked the Pharisees, the religious leaders. It shocked his disciples at times, probably, and the crowds, but it never shocked Jesus. He had to go. And he offered life. I, I want you to see this again here, okay? Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Okay. Uh, okay, I'll just continue. I, want, 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 I highlighted that. I want to share something about that. But everyone who drinks this water, the well from Jacob's well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, so the living water in that culture probably would have been uh, the difference between a pond that was kind of stagnant with no inlet or outlet, or even the well, which the water, hopefully it's coming up and it's fresh, but it's still, there's no, it's not alive. Debbie and I are in the mountains a couple weeks ago and you see the, the rivers alongside, even this time of the year, the snow has melted, but the rivers in, in Breckenridge was just raging. It was the most beautiful thing in the little pools. That was living water. You could almost, I'm sure, get that and probably drink that at some points in that river. Anybody ever drank from a, a mountain stream? I've done that, and I didn't get sick. There's some places where you drink from, and you're going to get something in your stomach, and you're, you're going to have a tough day or two, right? Living water. Jesus oftentimes would give a dual meaning. So she's going, oh, yeah, living water. Give me some of that. I don't want to keep coming to this well. Don't you know when I come back with my water jugs at the end, of, at midday, the people are just kind of sitting, looking out their windows and going, she's not allowed to get water with us. Look at her. She's an outcast. Look at her. Look at that sinner. What a, what a, don't, kids, don't, don't get close to her kids. Don't, don't get near, and can you imagine, if she could, if she could tap into living water that she never thirsted anymore, what a relief that would be not to have to carry the burden that she did probably every day at midday, living water. John would later explain that this dual meeting, this hidden meeting, we've talked about the ladder and Bethel in the Old Testament being where a ladder came down and angels were ascending and descending and Jacob had this dream and Jesus is kind of, uh, you know, whether it's his cross or whether it's his life, 
the revelation that he brings. It's like he's just constantly opening heaven and bringing to heaven like this, uh, uh, these divine occurrences, whether it's a sign, a miracle, or whether it's a teaching. And in this moment, heaven opened up and he wasn't talking about a mountain stream. He was talking about eternal life. We would find later in John chapter seven that he is talking about the giving of the, the, the Holy Spirit of the living God upon all those that confess Christ as Lord. You can sneak ahead. Maybe you've already read through the gospel uh, a time or two in this, in, this, in this month or in this season. But uh, it's very clear that, that, uh, that John will unpack and, and, and reveal actually and um, decipher what this is, living water that Jesus is talking about, is the outpouring of the precious spirit of the living God upon those who are called by his name, those who follow and, and, and yield to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So uh, John would, would, would do that, and, and then the, you see that, that one note, there, the eternal life. So it's, there's something deeper. It's not just a physical water that Jesus is revealing. <laughs> He's revealing it to an outcast people. He's revealing it to an outcast woman. He's revealing that to a people that were shunned by the ones who had the real the real uh, uh, insight and religion and, and were the, the, pure, the pure, purebreds, so to speak. And uh, he chooses uh, this place and this space to unpack uh, a divine truth. So what's right with the picture? Not only that he had to go, not only that he offered life, but uh, Jesus chose uh, first, like I said, a despised and broken and rejected and a sinful woman to reveal his real identity, all right? Up to that point in the gospel, uh, many believe this is the first time that it was, it was revealed who he was. In the other gospels, it's kind of cloaked. He just comes right out to this Samaritan woman uh, of a very broken condition and sinful condition. He says, that's me. I'm the one. I'm, I'm the one speaking to you. I am the Messiah, the one you're talking to right now. And uh, I would say if that's the case, that Jesus would, would go out of his way, that he would detour to a well, an ancient well, and speak to a, a broken vessel that there's a good chance that he's wanting to speak to us today. I take that with me. I put it close to my heart, and I say, that's the Christ. That's the, that's the character of the Savior that we, that we, that we pursue. Um, she could not contain herself, right? She left her water bottles right there. I don't know what they might, probably sizable. You see some of the, even modern day people carrying from wells, uh, they can put them on their heads and they can walk, you know, in their big, you know, five gallon uh, containers or whatever. She left them there. She was so pumped up. She was so excited and she ran back into the town. And, uh, and here's what, here's what the, the scripture says. And I didn't put this in our first reading. It says, many of the Samaritans from the town that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed a couple of days. They had a big tent revival or some kind of revival, and he shared and ministered to them. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man, look at that, really is the savior of the world. Wow, this is some profound revelation. Something happened in Samaria, and I am sure glad that, uh, that Jesus took the detour, aren't you? 
We have an amazing story. I was looking up online. There's a Greek Orthodox church over Jacob's Well today. Uh, supposedly, you can go into Samaria, you go down the basement, and it's been recognized as the location of Jacob's Well. But there's a church that keeps, you know, get, you know, it gets torn down when, you know, when the Muslims come to town or when the Samaritans get mad or whatever. And uh, anyway, they just keep rebuilding it. And uh, if you're to go there, you can go down. You can, you can, if they're not having service, you can maybe get a peek and you can go online and see it. There's a place that they consider Jacob's well. Very important to the church because of the lessons that it gives us in who Jesus is and how he loved and his heart for, for, for all of humanity, Savior of the world. So what's right with this picture? I think it's that we get a beautiful picture of the real Jesus, the Messiah, as we talked about a second ago. I invite the worship team to come as well, if you would, please. The Messiah promised from God in the ancient texts of the Old Testament and, and born in a manger as we come to Christmas time here soon. But the, the, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the Christ in the Greek, uh, the, the anointed one who the revelation is spot on. The Samaritans had it. He's the savior of the world. Not just the savior of who we think, where we worship at Mount Gerizim, uh, or not just who you think and you worship down there in Israel on Mount Zion. No, he's for the whole world. And Jesus even said that. You worship here. We're doing it right down in, is, down in Jerusalem. But here's the bigger picture. The time is now that true worshipers will worship him in spirit. And in truth, it no they could tear this building down in every physical church in our city today. And all that would happen is the body of Christ would grow. Do you know that? Because it's been proven around the world. You, you can't contain what God's Spirit is doing in the hearts and lives of people. Just go to China and see if you can visit the underground church. It's growing, it's growing exponentially for the last 20, 30, 40 years. But it's, it's off radar. And it's millions strong. And they don't have buildings that we're thankful for this building. But this building is not the church. True worshipers no longer have to go to a temple or fight over a temple at Mount Gerizim or at, in, in Zion. There's not even a, uh, uh, Jerusalem doesn't even have a temple anymore. There's a mosque there. But it's, God no longer meets in a physical place. He meets in flesh and blood by the spirit, the living water boiling up and coming up through our lives. It's really amazing stuff, church, if we get this and if we reach out for it. The intimacy, the, the profundity, the, the power, the, the presence of Almighty God through the expression of His Son being baptized by His Spirit into our lives. The sky's the limit on what God can do through us if we are yielded to Him and um, receptive of the work of His Spirit for His kingdom's sake, not, not for our sake, for sure. The promised one. The real Jesus was quick to take a detour and is still quick to take a detour when a life needs to be rescued. The real Jesus doesn't partake or participate in cultural or racial walls, but rather he breaks down those walls with his love. And if we are carriers of that Jesus, we should be thinking about that. We don't build walls. We get over walls to introduce the love of Jesus to those around us, to our neighbors. 
To the real Jesus, our sin does not shock him. He's seen it all and he's forgiven it all and he can forgive us today, all right? Your sin doesn't shock him. The real Jesus loves the harvest of human lives. What does that mean? If you, the part that I left out was where Jesus is just having this conversation with his disciples as they come back with their bags of burgers. And he says, he says, this is harvest time. You know, some sowed, but we are reaping now. And was it John the Baptist he has done? Was he talking about the ancient prophets? He's saying, all I know is, this is harvest time. And sure enough, the town comes out. One, one translation says the whole town came out. And they just had these moments where I, I long for the day to figure out exactly what happened and how they became followers because this was before the cross. Uh, but they were followers of Jesus as Messiah and they were proclaiming him as the savior of the world. And Jesus is still, the real Jesus is passionate about your neighbor and my neighbor. The real Jesus is passionate about our coworker and that, that teacher that just frustrates the fire out of us. That real Jesus, the real Jesus, gave his life and rose from the dead so that all the brokenness that we encounter has the potential of being mended and transformed by his love and his power and his cross. He really loves human lives. And in that, we have adoption. We're all adopted in. We see that. We're welcomed in. There's the term family. There's term church, which is really ecclesia, called out ones. We're part of that. There's kingdom, which is different to us because we're a democracy. But just imagine a, a sacred kingdom that's above every kingdom and serving below every kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. And it's now, and it's not quite yet because the king hasn't returned, but it's breaking out all around us. He really loves, really loves the, the harvest of, of hearts and lives and the healing that comes with this beautiful harvest. He gives the picture of the grain and the season. And now he says, you don't have to wait four months for the grain, however long the gestation is of your tomato plants or your grain harvest. Now, the planting and now's harvest. We don't have to wait. And I believe that's the case for all of us today. And so, and then uh, for another message, let's stand together. He's the giver of this living water. And, uh, and, and we'll run into that as we continue to navigate through this beautiful, beautiful gospel. But the Holy Spirit of God, he gives it. And, uh, and this kind of a collective effort between the Father and the Son and the Trinity and the Holy Spirit is real and he's filling us, he's leading us, and he's magnifying Jesus in our midst. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this uh, amazing story. And Lord, I just pray that you bring it home for all of us today, God. Wherever we, wherever again, Lord, wherever we arrive today to your table, so to speak, would you, uh, would you nourish us accordingly? By and through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Jesus, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, check out our website at www.ridway.church.